Hello and welcome to another edition of Global Missions Insights, brought to you by the World Evangelical Alliance Mission Commission. I'm Jay Martanger, Director of Missions and Evangelism for the World Evangelical Alliance. Global Missions Insights wrestles with critical missions issues of our day. In this edition, we continue our exploration of missions in a COVID crisis and look at the implications for work. Whether affected by infection or isolation, only the very privileged few are able to work through this pandemic. Where lockdowns were attempted in high-population nations, they appear to have had a limited effect on arresting the virus, but a devastating effect on the livelihoods and the well-being of millions of people. In this crisis, there remains a huge opportunity for the followers of Christ. You can find this edition as the latest post on the Mission Commission website, weamc.global. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-13, the Apostle Paul gets serious with the Thessalonian faithful. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the traditions they received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living in idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, to work to earn their own living. And for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Well, we're living through a period of time where an idealized concept of work is starting to emerge from necessary drudgery to meaning and purpose with with positive social and environmental outcomes. And while this is a welcome aspiration, it's still a far cry from reality for many people around the world. Our first point is work recovered. Within the realms of church and missions, the sacredness of work has been for some time promoted as valid and good, with even a witness to the world, in quotation marks, uh, orientation to it. We work because God works, and our capacity to work is rooted in our creation in the image of God. This kind of work is creative work. It's an investment in our human capacity to craft good out of the material world that we've been gifted from the Creator. Work's an opportunity for divine inspiration to flow through us, for something unique and beautiful to emerge from our talents in the wisdom of God that is granted to us. You can see Isaiah um, 28, 23 to 29, with regard to God's wisdom in the place of work. But the outcomes of such activities ought to be for the sustenance of ourselves and our families, our neighbors and our society, the creation around us, and for the glory of God who provides for and sustains us by grace. We also labor and toil This is the direct inheritance of the corruption of the creation that we can trace back to what we know as the fall. 
At that point of disobedience, our ancestors' determination to judge right from wrong, good from evil, it burdened burdened us with a resistance uh, to our investments of energy. In other words, the material world no longer yields so easily to our efforts to craft good, to make a living, to find peace and joy in our activities. Yet labour we must to perpetuate our existence. After the resurrection of the carpenter from Nazareth, who experienced a brutal death nailed to slabs of wood like those he used to craft with, we now find rich meaning in our earthly labours. When we act, we do so in and for our resurrected Lord. And the scriptures you could refer to are Ephesians 6, 7 and 8, Colossians 3, 23 to 24, 1 Timothy 5, 18. Well, in this way, our efforts are transformed from toil to testimony. In Christ, we once again discover the joy of creative work for our own dignity, for the dignity of our families, the benefit of our societies, the well-being of our environment and the glory of God in all the earth. We work because it is an act of worship. Idleness, therefore, is idolatry. It's a misdirected devotion to something other than God's right ways. Point two, work interrupted. Well, Paul chastised the Thessalonians with a strong word. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. There's an inference here that some among them may have been living off the generosity of a community of faith that was sharing its wealth. Paul was criticizing the idle ones for not contributing to the well-being of that community. This suggests that some work within that community may not have been directly remunerated. Yet an investment of time and energy to the benefit of the community was still expected in order to receive a portion of the fruits of that community's activities as a whole. Viv Gregg, a missions-oriented social entrepreneur and professor of urban leadership at William Carey International University, suggests these biblical examples of sharing communities were operating out of a cooperative economic mindset. You can get his book Kiwinomics on Amazon. In a cooperative, capital is shared and assets are communal. Then the benefits are enjoyed by all. It's a bit more complex than it sounds, and the principles are by no means exclusive to Christians, but cooperative economics can be powerfully applied by believers for the benefit of mutual flourishing, wealth creation, and well-being. That's all very well, but what if the entire community cannot work? What if creativity is hindered by government-level injunctions to cease activities outside of the home? How then does a family survive unless they have the accumulated spare resources to do so, for as long as required? For most in the industrialized world, governments have provided temporary incomes in some form, either as welfare, wage subsidies, or business hardship packages. For those who are able, workers continued from home, travelling the umbilical cord of the internet to deliver products and services that can still be traded in the marketplace. For the vast majority of people on earth, however, this is not an option, because the vast majority of people on earth live a subsistence existence and thus starving. Point three, work impossible. The COVID-19 response has been predominantly one-size-fits-all, following the most popular option to mandate physical distancing and close the marketplace to do so. 
Well, this took consumers of anything other than essential items off the streets. And suddenly the clientele of most retailers, their suppliers and the manufacturers just disappeared. No doubt we've all heard of the plight of those in impoverished nations who live day to day and hand to mouth from street selling. We've seen the long walks to home villages and heard of the devastation a copycat isolation strategy is causing throughout the high-density, low-income populations of the world. On May 16, 2020, Mats Tunahag, the chairman of the Businesses Mission, or BAM, Global Think Tank, noted in an article on LinkedIn that, quote, United Nations World Food Programme, International Labour Organisation, International Food Policy Research Institute and Business Sweden, among others, are painting a horrifying scenario or scenarios on a macro scale. They're saying around 50 million children could fall into extreme poverty. Hundreds of millions of jobs may be lost. 260 million face starvation and three dozen countries risks famine. 2.7 billion workers are affected by the lockdown measures. And most vulnerable people are in the informal sector. And in India alone, 400 million workers now face greater impoverishment. 50 to 70% of the population in 20 countries in Africa will run out of money and food after a 14-day quarantine, end quote. Another impact lost on the media is that of the livelihood of religious workers in the majority world. When you're ministering in a society that relies on presence and cash or other material offering, Isolation immediately shuts off a lifeline. Ministers have not stopped working. They are still praying, studying, listening and teaching, and their phones will be running hot as they comfort and counsel their flock. But their cash or other material goods income supply has been cut off. The ox has been muzzled, as it were, from 1 Timothy 5.18, muzzled by the edict to remain at home. As one example of solidarity, the World Evangelical Alliance is responding to the plight of pastors by fundraising for them and distributing those collections via the National Evangelical Alliances. You can find out more and contribute to this initial project by going to the website covid19.worldea.org forward slash donate hyphen nl forward slash or just go to our wea.global site visit this post and click on the link nations that could afford to keep their economic engine running and risk a very high load on their healthcare systems they're not faring much better than nations that locked down people have still opted to remain home and the direct death toll from covid19 particularly among the elderly is drawing stern criticism but it's far from over, and the total impact, whether from infection or isolation, will take years to determine. By then, it will be just an historic curiosity. Point four, work assistance. Well, it's a no-win situation. Everyone will lose something, some much more than others. Those most acutely impacted will require financial assistance. The McKinsey Consultancy Company reports that philanthropic enterprises released a U.S. $10.3 billion globally just in May 2020 alone. This was reported by Candid, which tracks major grants. 
Well, aid of this magnitude and much more is certainly needed for the desperate, but it's often not distributed equitably, if it's distributed at all in places. But regardless, human dignity does not thrive in dependency. Dignity is found in creativity and contribution. For most of the world, the problem is not refusing work in the favour of idleness, It's the inability to find work at all. In parts of the industrialised world, this has suddenly become an overwhelming new reality. For example, at the time of researching this, the unemployment rate in the United States of America is the highest it's been since the Great Depression, and it's set to get worse. India's unemployment rate, in contrast, has so-called stabilised at an unfathomable 24%. This is compared to 65 to 7% in May last year. An estimated 120 million people are jobless. 80 million jobs have disappeared completely, let alone the hundreds of millions otherwise negatively impacted. Offering job welfare and stimulus packages is going to create an enormous debt for India, as it is for all nations. But delivering stimulus funding, it's a very complex economic exercise, not to be treated lightly. Point five, work adapting. Where businesses and business people have the capacity to continue operating in the current crisis, some are responding wonderfully well, contributing solutions for the benefit of their employees and their communities. A company developed by Christian innovators in New Zealand usually makes sturdy plywood road cases for event equipment. As the inevitability of a lockdown loomed, they saw the need for work-from-home desks, so they pulled out an old design and quickly refined it. Within days, they started producing a flat-pack, fully-adjustable workstation kit set out of their road case material that is durable, strong, and requires no tools to assemble. The business continued to thrive as an employer and essential services provider. The WEAMC purchased one of these desks for our virtual HQ setup when it became apparent that travel would not be an option for a long while yet, and it works brilliantly. Dr. Joao Mordomo, co-founder and vice-chair of Crossover Global, tells of a business-as-mission enterprise in Brazil called Liveful. He says, quote, An international BAM business, Liveful, with growing presence in Brazil, the, the driven by an Isaiah 61 Luke 4 vision to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, one of the ways they do this is by producing world-class and world-beating insect repellent. Well, that alone is enough to save thousands, if not millions, of lives annually. But what about right now, in the midst of this global pandemic that's not related to mosquitoes and other insects? Liveful immediately mobilized by way of a joint venture with another BAM company to offer PPEs, personal protective equipment, such as masks and rapid testing kits uh, to governments, hospitals and NGOs at special low prices. They willingly forsook some of their financial bottom line in favor of the social and spiritual bottom lines. They looked around, saw an opportunity in the midst of need and they jumped into action, end quote. 
Well, stories abound of businesses from established companies to micro-enterprises repurposing their activities to supply ventilators, protective screens, personal protection equipment, masks, sanitizers, hand wash stations, and all manner of innovative devices to accommodate the low-touch requirements of our present and our future. What they all have in common is a sensitivity to the needs around them and the ability to create solutions with the resources and assets they have on hand. This kind of service orientation is core to what it means to make the most of our God-given gift of work. Point six, work on mission. For followers of Jesus, we are to use our creativity for the benefit of others as if working for the Lord. The global reality is that those of us who have some resources and are less impacted have a wide open missions opportunity to live out our faith by praying for inspiration that will enable us to create employment opportunities. God has not abandoned us to this crisis. The Holy Spirit has actually positioned us for it. The hope we profess is not void of power. We operate by the laws of a different reality and have assets that are out of this world. Through prayer, with our mustard seed-sized faith, we can see unemployment and debt and need mountains move. We can imagine a better future because Jesus has proven that there is one. Now is not the time to tire of doing good. We need to increase our investment to be part of a whole-of-life gospel solution. We need to be known as the feeders of the hungry and carers of the sick and resources of the willing. We need to be lovers of the lost and hope givers and, by our example, trainers of those who put their hope in Christ. We need to permeate whatever level of society we work in with the fragrance of the living God, the perfume of faith hope, and love, to draw people previously untouched by the gospel into the fellowship that we enjoy with the Prince of Peace. Mass Tunhag concludes his LinkedIn article mentioned before by projecting into the near future. He says, quote, The need for God-honoring and people-serving businesses will increase during and after the pandemic. Thus, we must continue to affirm, equip, and deploy men and women, young and old, on all continents to grow, shape, and reshape businesses with God for the common good. We also need to build an ecosystem of Christ-honoring leaders from business, government, and civil society so different kinds of wealth can be created and health restored, and we must include the church. And to that end, he says, let me conclude with the appeal from the Wealth Creation Manifesto from the BAM uh, initiative. And he quotes, we call the church to embrace wealth creation as central to our mission of holistic transformation of peoples and societies, end quote, in Matz's quote. Well, potentially more potent and possible than autonomous business initiatives, especially for an urban people in poverty, is for Christians to lead in collective enterprises based on a cooperative economics model, such as that mentioned earlier. Viv Grigg clarifies, quote, Among the poor there is money, but there is not access to capital for starting of small businesses that will generate money. 
The solution to this is the development of cooperative savings schemes. When a group of people put their small amounts week by week into a common fund, it grows to a significant amount of capital, which can then be given to one of the members to start a small business. This person then can repay that loan week by week, and while the continued process of group savings continues till the next person can be given a capital loan, and so on, till the whole group can have access to the capital. And at that point, they are all earning more, so the amount of loans moves up a step to the next level of capitalization. Viv explains this in much more detail in his book, Kiwinomics, available from Amazon.com, published by the Urban Leadership Foundation. In light of the COVID-19 crisis, Viv's opening sentence may no longer be valid. People in poverty may actually have consumed what funding they may have had. Nevertheless, cooperatives can be developed with strategic injections of capital alongside training for the collective on how to develop a flourishing cooperative. Missions could lead the way, helping local churches to develop a cooperative economic mindset for the benefit of the congregation's mutual well-being and their witness to the world. But first, missions would need to adopt a cooperative mindset. We're hearing much talk about increasing collaboration within mission circles in this crisis moment. Some are calling for a new era of radical collaboration, but there's a danger that collaboration will remain little more than a trendy new way of speaking of partnership, which really is the the working together of autonomous bodies for mutually agreed outcomes. Whereas for cooperatives to work effectively, an assumption of autonomy must actually be surrendered. The early church had a deep sense of unity, a mutuality in Christ that built sufficient trust for their cooperatives to work, such that many were added to their numbers daily because of their witness. If we are to bear full witness to the promise of our Lord, that he came to fulfill the year of the Lord's favor, as he said in Luke 4.19, perhaps we need churches and missions to start living out a selfless common good cooperative jubilee around the world as evidence of our salvation and as actionable good news to the poor. Our final point in conclusion, work faithfully. In 2 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, Paul declares this, The Lord is faithful He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. End quote. In other words, Paul could be saying, hashtag stay on mission. Well, thanks for listening. To add your voice, head to our World Evangelical Alliance Mission Commission Facebook page and continue the conversation there. Feel free to add your comments under the post that's related to this Global Missions Insight. And whatever the Lord calls you to do, wherever in the world, remember, hashtag stay on mission.